two different groups of people can have a very, very different narrative of the same event. This plays out over and over and over again. As you look at our cities, our communities, our cultures, our, our groups, you know, the, the same the same event, the same happening can be interpreted very differently by different groups depending on socioeconomic status, status of life, race, gender, whatever. It's really, really interesting when you see this play out over and over again, and it really makes you appreciate uh, how important it is to be sensitive to everyone's experience. Because you never know when you approach someone how what their experience has done to mold their impression of events that have happened or, or events that are happening or about to happen. We're going to get that to that on the other side of the break. Got to pay the bills. Listen to this ad coming up. The story goes like this in, in this grist.org article. G-R-I-S-T dot org article referencing a really interesting event in uh, around 2014, I think it was, a group in Detroit in an effort to kind of re-greenify the, the city, the city that was still kind of just starting to feel the, the comeback vibe, mind you, a highly gentrified one. This group... Uh, was was I, I can't recall the name, but this there was a group that was trying to kind of replant street trees, and they really wanted very bad. Street trees have a tremendous effect on cities. I don't know if people really, 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 truly appreciate street trees and how important they are. Trees lining streets. What they do is several things. One, they purify the air at a level that people don't often appreciate. It's 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 massive. It's incredible. It soaks up CO2 pollution. It also there's there's been studies that show that uh, street trees also they uh they drive down uh traffic speeds, car speeds because people tend to measure their speed against how quickly they pass vertical objects. So if you have a, a relatively narrow residential street and you put tall street trees in there, your your brain believes you're going faster than you actually are. It's kind of like it's kind of like when you're going 65 miles an hour on a six-lane highway and when you're going 65 miles an hour on a small road, it feels like you're going a lot faster on a small road, right? Because your brain is looking at the vertical objects that are passing you at what appears to be a faster rate. So anyway, getting back to the street trees. They're a wonderful, wonderful public benefit. They have health benefits. They have community benefits. They've been shown to raise property value. Street trees are a wonderful thing for our cities. But in uh, these, what these, this group was finding is in uh, black neighborhoods, in uh, traditional black neighborhoods in Detroit – there was a lot of resistance to planting these street trees. So they, they would go to residences and they would say, we would love to plant uh, street trees in front of your house. And the 25% of the residents said no. They said they did not want that. And the interesting thing is doing a little more digging, they realized that, that African-American communities in Detroit had a very uh, – had a very strong connection with a narrative that happened in the 1960s. In 1967, racial tensions were very, very high in Detroit. The local government 
went into neighborhoods in Detroit and cut down street trees. They cut down all these trees. And the, the, the supposed narrative was they cut it down uh, they cut them down so that uh, it was it was Dutch elm disease was was spreading across the country, and they were cutting down these trees that were dying from Dutch elm disease. That was the that was the government narrative. That was the institution institutional narrative. But the people living in these communities who felt that they were under you know constant siege from uh, law enforcement and, and racial profiling and things like that saw it very differently. They believed that the reason these trees were being cut down was so that helicopters flying overhead could better surveil their neighborhoods. They felt like the, the, the narrative that was created was that, that this was the case. They, they wanted you know, helicopters to be able to look down on these neighborhoods and, and basically spy on these folks and, and, and you know, have a bird's eye view into their neighborhoods to, 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 you know, to, to racial profile basically. And indeed, helicopters were flying overhead in these neighborhoods because they were they were chopping massive amounts of DDT down. And of course, it's the '60s. That's just what communities did. So, you know, interesting. Two very different narratives, and 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 the narrative of the folks in in these black neighborhoods that you know street trees kind of reminded these folks. Of a, of a horrible time, of a horrible uh, series of events, which their narrative was very different from the the, the local government narrative. It's kind of interesting because, you know, these folks that were just trying to plant these trees were like, why are so many people refusing this? Why You know, it's such a great community good. But looking back, street trees had a very negative connection or the chopping down of street trees, just the idea of street trees had a very kind of difficult um, you know, it stirred up difficult feelings, I'm sure, and, and, and suspicions. When you're being racial profiled constantly, when racial tensions are high and you are a person of color and on the receiving end of, of this kind of racial profiling and, 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 and maltreatment and disenfranchisement, you're going to be suspicious. You're going to be suspicious anytime something like this comes, anytime white people come to your door saying, hey, we want to do this to your neighborhood. Of course, you're going to be suspicious. I don't think people appreciate how much we ravage black neighborhoods um, in, in, the, in the 60s and 70s. Heck, you know, into the 80s <clears throat> with the war on drugs. It, it's it's really amazing, and it, this story kind of sheds a light, uh, you know, kind of, of you know, you, you wonder kind of why does this group of people have a different narrative than this group of people? Well, in this case, it makes sense. You know, whoever was right or wrong, it doesn't matter. That's the cultural narrative that the folks in these neighborhoods have. They believed that this is just another assault from the white man, from the law enforcement agencies on their way of life. It's interesting because it made me think of something different. I am so tired of, of hearing white people question why African-Americans walk in the street. Why do these people walk in the street? Why are these people walking in the street? There's a perfectly good sidewalk right there. Per First of all, there's often not a perfectly good sidewalk, <laughs> okay? There's the, there's the, you know, especially this time of year when it's snowy and icy and, listen, uh, I... You know, I walk in the road a lot because our sidewalks, as much as Rochester tries to do a good job with them, um, you know, they're they're not great. 
They're not. They're they're slippery. And you know, but the the if you go into black neighborhoods, you're going to see this a lot. People out in the street. You're going to see folks, you know, walking along the street, out in the street, hanging out in the street. Why is that? Why is that? I get that question over and over and over again from from uh from from white people. And I tried to explain this is this is a cultural phenomenon in part. Now, this is a very complicated issue. There's a million reasons for this, but one of the big ones is the fact that roads and streets and cars in black communities are often seen as, you know, forced upon these communities by white people. So the automobile, the proliferation of the automobile led to highways, urban highways. And these urban highways that were built, like right here in Rochester, uh, it's the Interloop, 490, um, um, let's look at uh, Buffalo is awful with uh, Kensington, Skajakwita, Syracuse, I-81, 690. You know, this is, this is the narrative across the country. All of these highways were completely blasted through uh, poor black neighborhoods. And not even poor black neighborhoods, I mean, some, some evolving black neighborhoods. But the, the building of these highways was generally seen as just another way to completely cut off uh, people of color from, from each other and from the rest of the city. You know, in the building of these highways, again, and, and the widening of roads in, in so many areas to create these thoroughfares, we so often cut right through black neighborhoods. So the narrative, the narrative is kind of, hey, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to walk in the street. I'm going to hang out in the street. I'm going to do it in the street because I'm taking my roads back. I'm taking my street back. My kids used to play in the street. My, you know, my grandparents used to play in the street. I'm going to take it back because, you know, I don't own a car and my, my friends don't own a car. My families don't own a car. Maybe we have one, you know. The fact is it's it's pushing back. It's saying I'm taking back my space that was taken from me. It, it's a symbolic thing. It, it's, it's you know, if, if you're somebody that, if you're listening to this, a lot of, you know, folks that, <clears throat> that, uh, that bike on our roads uh, listen to this podcast, it's, it's, it's like a cyclist saying, hey, roads used to be shared. Roads used to be shared uh, right-of-ways until we over-prioritize cars. I'm going to, by riding in the road, I'm taking a piece of my road back. And there's a pride with that, right? There's a pride with saying, I'm rewriting the script. I'm rewriting the narrative. I'm taking this, this piece of the road back. You can't, you can't have all of it. Cyclists are saying that to drivers, right? It's, it's the same thing on a, on a much more powerful scale in black communities. I'm going to walk in the street because I'm, this, my street, my way of life was taken from me. And it was. It was. Cities have been awful to people of color. Awful to people of color. Terrible. And I'll never know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a privileged white male. I will never know how, how bad it was or how bad it is. But even I can look at it and say, that was pretty awful. In black neighborhoods, it is a part of the culture to take your street back in some way or another. 
and say, we're tired of being trampled on. We're tired of our neighborhoods being, being taken away or being bulldozed or being displaced. We're tired of highways being, you know, just cutting through our, 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 the fabric of our, of our society, of our neighborhoods. We're taking our streets back. Again, it's a very different narrative of the same event. That's what happens when we disenfranchise folks. That's what happens is, is we create two different narratives of the same, of the same event. Something to think about. With every project, with every move that our city makes, there are going to be, it's, it won't just be two narratives. It could be several different narratives of that same move. One person's added urban vibrancy is another person's displacement. It's, it's, it's tough. It's hard. We want to move our cities forward, but we also <clears throat> want to realize that it's not been real great for <laughs> a huge percentage of our populations, of our urban populations. We got to mend fences as we move forward. That's a very, very difficult thing to do. I know a lot about cities. I know a lot about urbanism. And I don't know exactly how we do that. But we just try. We just try. Every, every time we do something, every time we move forward, we just try. But the most important thing is to recognize that my narrative is probably not someone else's narrative living uh, in, a, in, a, in a black community, in a black neighborhood. My narrative of what city and urban progress is, is probably very, very different than a person of color living here in Rochester. It's important to be mindful of that. My narrative walking through downtown Rochester is going to be very different than my wife's narrative, than my best friend's narrative. Their experience is going to be very, very different. We have to remember that. We have to be sensitive to that. We have to be cognizant that our narrative is not the only one. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.